we'll, uh, for those that are tuning in, uh, we apologize. We're not streaming to YouTube this morning or to Sermon Audio, as I had hoped. Uh, tried to get all that worked out, but just ran out of time and wasn't able to figure it out before today. So, uh, we kind of went back to the old school way of doing it, and I'll upload YouTube and Sermon Audio later this week. So, apologize for all you YouTubers and Sermon Audio people, but, uh, Anyway, we'll try to get it all figured out here and eventually maybe get it all streamed out. I also noticed last week that our streaming to the two different sites at the same time was kind of garbly. And uh, so that may be because of the bandwidth. So there may be an opportunity for us to stream to uh, Sermon Audio. Brother Larry told me about this uh, Sermon Audio being able to stream to the other platforms and us just stream to that. So I want to look into that. And we can maybe do one stream that maybe not kill our bandwidth and make things garbly and stream to them. And then from Sermon Audio, that will stream to Facebook and YouTube for us. So uh, once we f I get all this figured out and everything, then uh, hopefully we'll get all that where all three platforms will be streaming at the same time. On, uh, But until then, we'll still upload uh, after the fact until we can get it all figured out. Uh, so anyway, my apologies to everybody. I put out a... Thing on the church's deal saying we're going to try to do that this week but uh anyway didn't get didn't get it all worked out and figured out i tried to test yesterday on it and it didn't work and so anyway john chapter six if you would this morning we're going to start there or that's going to be the first verse we're going to look at good to see everybody this morning have everybody this morning uh, we truly do Love the time that we have to share in the Word of God with each other. And uh, for those who are watching, a lot of times um, before we come on to the live stream, you know, we have conversation here. And sometimes that conversation rolls into the whole service, and we don't even start the, the live stream. We just talk here. Sometimes we talk about things that are personal, having to deal with things mainly just within our church. And sometimes we don't feel that that'll be public and uh, everything but um, uh, we have singing and discussion sometimes before we even start but for you guys you you just kind of get to see uh, what you see but uh, <coughs> we uh, do enjoy the time to get together and to visit and to uh, talk about the Lord and to bounce things off of each other and uh, encourage one another um, this morning, uh, I thought we might look at something, and I've talked about this in times past. And, and in fact, I even went back and tried to look to see when maybe the last time it was that I spoke specifically on this subject um, as it pertains to, to what I'm going to talk about today. And uh, I think it was around 2016 or so that I spoke on this uh, and everything. But uh, the Lord had kind of laid this on my heart. Actually, yesterday afternoon, and I'd kind of been kicking things around in my head, and, and this morning when I got up, I actually was wanting to look at something else, and I got my got my Bible out this morning and, and, and started asking the Lord what He wanted me to talk about, and I already had mine kind of what I wanted to talk about, but He kept bringing me back to what He was uh, dealing with me about yesterday uh, and everything, and so... Um, 
uh, I probably ought to just go ahead and go forth with that <laughs> and, and talk about that. So I jotted down a few, uh, few verses of scripture and everything, and uh, hopefully the Spirit will be with me uh, in this, and hopefully the Lord will uh, edify all of you uh, as we go through with this. But let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll begin to look at a few things. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the day that you've given to us together, together. We thank you for these brethren that are brought here by your hand. We pray, Lord, this morning as we come together in meeting, that uh, you might uh, edify your people, that you might feed your sheep. Lord, I pray that you would help me to expound the word of God, that you might be with me in utterance. Uh, Father, Lord, I pray that Christ would be exalted in all that we do and say. Lord, we just thank you so much for... Christ Jesus and the work that he has done on our behalf as our substitute, and we exalt him this morning as our Savior, as our substitute, as our priest, as our King, as our Lord and Savior. Uh, we thank you for the love that you've given us, that everlasting love from before the foundation of the world. You called us to yourself, put us in union with Christ Jesus, and blessed us with all spiritual blessings in that heavenly place. And Father, that you have in this time granted unto us repentance and faith that we might experience the salvation that Christ has done for us. And Lord, we are so grateful for that. And I pray now, Lord, that uh, you might uh, lead us in this study. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I got to thinking about faith uh, yesterday. We talk a lot about faith. Uh, faith is, is, a, is a big seller in modern Christianity. Uh, you go into any kind of bookstore and uh, you look at the theology aisle and you see just a few shelves there, you know, but you look at the self-help aisles in those Christian bookstores and like there's like 15 shelves full of self-help and if you don't see those 15 shelves, you can't see them because of the 75 shelves of books that's written about faith. And uh, this uh, faith uh, that is so popular among everybody is a faith that, to me, is not found in Scripture. It's a faith that is a natural faith that men can build up or wane by their doing or not doing. Uh, this is a faith that they can take in from one object move it to another object. Um, this is a faith that if they so choose and if they're so ardent in it, they can even back God into a corner and make Him do whatever they want Him to do. They can ask down blessings. They can bring forth any kind of thing that they want to bring forth. And so what we have this <clears throat> modern Christianity preaches is a faith that is not the faith of the Scriptures. Now, as it pertains to the belief of the truth in that particular faith, we know that the Bible speaks of the word faith in different ways. We know that the Bible speaks of, of faith as a, as a belief in, in truth, right? A belief in something. Uh, faith is a trust or or a, 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 a um, 
yearning for or longing for something that has been told, an earnest expectation of something. Faith is something that, you know, I, my, my faith is that Christ is going to come again. I have faith that Christ is going to come again. Well, that's an earnest expectation that Christ is going to come again. Uh, that word is also can be used as hope. I have a hope that Christ is going to come again. So we have faith used as, as a belief of truth. Faith can even actually mean doctrine in and of itself. The faith that was once delivered to the saints, that was that body of doctrine that Christ gave the church. We also know that the Bible personifies faith in the man Jesus Christ. Uh, that he is faith whenever faith comes. Um, he's talking about whenever Christ comes. Uh, so faith is used in different ways in the scripture. But we must, we must know that faith, there is a natural faith and there is a spiritual faith. A supernatural faith. That faith that is natural that all men has, and we've used the illustration before, you know, I can go sit in the chair and I have faith that that chair is going to hold me up. Okay? Or I have faith that if I get on this airplane, it's going to get me to my destination. We use and exercise faith all the time. That's natural faith. That's not the faith that the Bible is talking about. That's not the faith that you move from one object to another. The faith that is talked about in the Bible that <clears throat> receives the testimony of Christ, that receives the testimony of salvation, and I would even say that receives the testimony of oneself and who we are in Adam, that that faith no man has unless it's supernaturally given to him. Now, I've heard this said, and I'm going to quote this, and I won't mention who said this, but I, I had this told to me one time in a discussion that was a debate back and forth that we were having uh, about some things. <clears throat> and I, I kept that, and this is a direct quote. It says, Faith in anything comes from a person hearing enough convincing truth about something that having been convinced that what they are hearing is true, they then respond to that truth by doing what they have been convinced about. Okay? Now, I'll just say, now I would agree with some of that content there, alright? Number one, to have faith in anything, we for the most part do need to know something about it. Okay, uh, We don't have faith in nothing. We have faith in something. We have faith in something. Now I will say this. I believe that the Lord puts faith in us even though we might not know something about it yet that that faith has been put in us and once heard about that we trust in that and we believe on that. So that faith is there and I will say this. <clears throat> I believe that John the Baptist had been given faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in his mother's womb. The Bible is clear that he was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb, and that at the even mention of Christ coming, that the baby leapt in the mother's womb and was excited about that. And so I would say that faith is given 
even though the outward hearing of the gospel has not yet been heard, there is this inward faith that has been instilled that is ready and receptive to those truths. And that's for another day. But So I would agree to some of what this uh, quote is saying. But if I take what this quote is saying, it's saying that if we just give somebody enough convincing truth, then that person's faith can be changed from one thing to another, and they will start believing what they hear about. So if we take that as, and in this conversation we're talking about believing upon Christ, if you hear enough convincing truths about Christ, then that convincing truth is going to cause you to move your faith away from what you thought to what has been being told to you. So, just like this morning, we were talking about some stuff eschatological. We are talking about the end times. I mean, Brother Larry, before we came on the uh, uh, live stream. Let's just say Larry takes the position of a dispensationalist. Now, he isn't a dispensationalist. So I'll just let you know that. But let's just say Larry takes the position of a dispensationalist. And I take the position of one who's not dispensationalist. And I come to Larry, and Larry is like dug in dispensationalist. I give Larry enough information, and just the bombardment of that information and the convincing nature of that information, Larry looks at that and says, you know what, I think that's true. I'm going to change my mind, and I'm going to not be a dispensationalist anymore. And he changes his mind and becomes a dispensationalist. So now Larry has moved from being a dispensationalist to moving to be whatever other category you want to put it, put in, in there and everything. But now he has been moved because the preacher or whoever has given him enough convincing evidence that he says, well, you know what? I'm going to change my mind and I'm going to put my faith in that. And so now that faith is put in, in something else. Okay? Now, who's to say that later on down the line somebody can come and give him some more convincing evidence to go move to a different position? Even that, say he moved from, from dispensationalism to historic premillennialism. Now somebody comes along the way and tells him otherwise, and now he says, well, you know what? You've convinced me. Now I believe that uh, gospel millennialism is the right outlook on, on that. So I'm going to take a gospel millennial outlook on that. And then somebody gives... Now, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen to us all because I've moved away on my eschatology all done and everything. But is the fact that we can convince somebody to believe upon Jesus Christ in such a way that as the Bible teaches, this faith is something that... that gives us hope that we can continue to hope in, and that it gives us assurance that we can be assured of the things, and even the, even the fact that the Bible says that the Spirit is given, that we might know that we are the children of God, <clears throat> if that faith that is given to us, or if that faith that we're talking about, can, can be con convinced by outward truths, that then makes an internal change, then we're bound to whatever convincing truth is being given to us. We're bound to whatever men bring to us, books bring to us, 
Whatever the outward things are, then we're bound to that. But the Bible teaches that truth comes by the Spirit of God, by revelation, that it is an internal, spiritual, and supernatural thing, and that man's believing, man's trusting, man's hoping, and man's assurance doesn't come from anything from without. It only comes from within. So if what this person says is true, then every man in all the world, if they are just given enough evidence and enough truth, then they can be convinced to change their mind. Now, I know that this is what people in modern quote-unquote Christianity believes, because that is what, as we talked about last week, is the gas in their evangelism. Because they think that they can go out there and get the whole world saved by their going out and preaching because they believe that by their going and preaching and reaching the nations that they are saving people. But see, salvation doesn't come that way. Salvation came as an objective work of Christ alone. And it doesn't come from our preaching. Yes, there is a... There is, there is a aspect of salvation that comes from preaching. We are saved from wrong knowledge. We are saved uh, whenever we hear the preaching of the gospel, when we are uh, uh, hearing the preaching of the truth, we are saved from the wrong understanding, the wrong knowledge of the Word of God. We're saved from the wrong understanding of the gospel. We are saved from wrong thinking whenever we are like that. Whenever we hear the Word of God and its admonitions and we, and we seek to follow those admonitions, we are saved from a lot of heartache. Uh, <clears throat> just an example, with a husband and wife, the Bible says that we are to be faithful to one another and that, that uh, sex is to be only within the confines of marriage. That, that sex outside of, of a man and a woman being married together is fornication and, 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 and considered uh, sin by God. Therefore, if we look at the admonitions of Scripture and we follow those admonitions and we are faithful to our spouse, then we are kept from a lot of heartaches and a lot of griefs. Why? Well, number one, divorce. <laughs> We're safe from divorce and all that that brings. We're saved from uh, arguing and fighting. We're saved from what possibly could be some sort of a venereal disease or some sort of a, a, a baby from out of wedlock. Uh, we, can, we can be saved from a lot of things because we follow the admonition. So we can be saved by the preaching in those aspects. But whenever we're talking about the legal aspect of salvation, whenever we're talking about justification, sanctification, redemption, uh, forgiveness of sins, whenever we're talking about all these things, we're talking about the preaching of the gospel does not bring that. The work of Christ alone brought that. So to convince people of truths that salvation, you need salvation, and that Jesus is the only way to salvation, and if you'll believe upon Him, if you'll trust Him as your Lord and Savior, then you'll be saved. Listen, just to trust that Jesus died on the cross and is a Savior, and that if I trust in Him, then I'll be saved, that right there doesn't actually change anything legally before God. The only thing that changes anything legally before God is the blood of atonement that Christ shed on behalf of His people. That's what changed things legally before God. 
What changed things legally before God is the work of substitution, Christ in our place. His obedience, His death, His resurrection. That is all done on our behalf. That is what saved anybody that is ever saved. And so, <clears throat> preaching of the gospel, teaching of the gospel, reception of the gospel, believing the gospel, all those things doesn't actually save us but the belief of the gospel is evidence that we have been saved. It is the experience that God is giving us of our salvation. So that person that made that comment was completely uh, uh, off kilter in saying that because nobody can convince anybody to... And, and it's wrong in a couple of ways. Number one, we can't convince anybody of truth. Only the Holy Spirit can do that, and I hope to show that this morning. Second of all, nobody can put faith that they have that's in something else onto Christ because whatever faith that they're putting in something else isn't supernatural, God-given faith. <clears throat> Otherwise, it wouldn't be in something else. The, the faith that God gives to His elect is faith that only looks to Christ alone. That only sees themselves as unprofitable servants, is a faith that only sees the work of Christ is the only salvation. That they have no part in that. The faith that God gives to His elect is a faith that trusts what the Bible says about sovereign grace. About free will that we talked about last week. See, those are the things that God teaches His people as He grows them in grace and knowledge he brings them to these understandings of these truths and that faith that he has given to them receives those. They see that that's truth. That's truth. That's truth. But see, the problem that we have and the reason that we have this disconnect between believers of the true gospel and professors of a false gospel that's out there and this false Christianity and this, this um, uh, modern Christianity that we see in so many places is the fact that we don't realize and that we don't understand is that this revelation that is given to his people, they will see this and they will come as Jesus said that all that the Father giveth me shall come to me or believe upon me. Okay? So we know that every person that is the elect of God is going to be given a faith and that faith is a genuine kind of faith unlike any other faith, and that faith can only and will only look to one thing as its source. It will not look to its will. It will not look to its choice or its decisions. It will not look to a church or to a denomination or to a theological system. It will not look to creeds and confessions. It's a faith that will look only towards Christ. <clears throat> But it's also a faith that will look away from itself and say, I can't do anything. That, that person in Romans 7 that Paul was, there, oh wretched man that I am, that I can't do anything good, that everything that I do is bad, and every time I want to do good, there's always evil there that's with me, and that all I can do in this flesh is serve the law of sin. That man, that person, Paul, the chief of sinners, that man there only saw that because he had faith. He had been given faith to not 
believe on himself, but believe in Christ. Believe upon Christ. See, faith works that way as well. Faith not only looks to Christ and receives all that Christ has done for that, and in doing so, that same faith also denies that I have anything to do with anything of my salvation. So that's why I say, those who have been truly given the faith of Jesus Christ and those who have been born from above, that faith is going to reject Arminianism and all that it is. It's going to reject free willism. It's going to reject um, uh, uh, synergism. All these words that are thrown around for believing that we have a part in our salvation. That we have something that salvation is conditioned upon something that we do. Faith denies that because it turns from that and turns to Christ alone. That's called repentance. That's why faith and repentance is so close together. Because when one is given faith, that faith is only looking to Christ. Therefore, it turns, that's repentance, it turns its back on <clears throat> everything behind. It's not just repentance of sin, meaning the sins that I have committed, my transgressions, it's repenting of wrong thinking that my righteousness and my salvation has anything to do condition with me. It's turning away from faith in things and my faith and it's turning and looking to Christ alone because I've been given a supernatural faith that turns away from myself and looks to Christ alone. So, <clears throat> this faith, how do you get that faith? This person here says that that faith is given to you by convincing you of truth. Multiple times, multiple ways, multiple evidences will convince you of that truth. Well, if that's the case, then every child of grace should spend every waking hour studying this Bible and spending time speaking to every person that they do with all the truth that they know. They should cease night, not night and day in sharing these things because the salvation of any person that's out there lies upon your head. So you see the fallacy of that, brethren? You see the fallacy of that? That puts salvation upon man and not upon Christ where it is. Now, in John chapter 6, if you'll turn with me there, John chapter 6, we learn a few things about faith if you remember, Jesus said, um, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Now, that kind of sounds funny to some people probably, especially if they have, haven't grown up in church, to hear a phrase like that. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. What are you talking about? If anybody has ears to hear, they're going to hear, right? Well, what was Jesus saying there? Whenever Jesus said, let he, after he spoke some theological sermon, some doctrine, some teaching to the people, he would say, let he who have an ear to hear, let him hear. In the book of Revelation, and, and as he wrote uh, those uh, letters to those seven churches, and I believe to all of us, he said, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, whenever Jesus says that, Jesus is saying that even though someone speaks and gives you truth, you might not hear it. 
you may physically hear those words, just like today, I'm preaching here, and I'm sure my voice is raised because I talk loud. Everyone in this room, and in the next room, and the other rooms that they're in there, can probably hear what I am saying. But that doesn't matter, mean that you actually hear what is being said. Meaning you're not hearing with understanding. You're not hearing with conviction. You're not hearing with, with a change in your understanding. And Jesus is saying, those who have an ear to hear, let him hear or understand what is being said. So that tells me that, the, that somebody can hear and hear and hear and hear, but never hear. Is that what we find in Scripture? Does the Scripture validate that? Or, or, or is the Scripture speaking those truths to us and whenever we preach these things, when it, what I'm saying right now, am I speaking the truth or am I speaking a philosophy or a doctrinal perspective? Am I speaking a theological system? Am I being a Calvinist? Am I being a old school Baptist or whatever the name or moniker you want to call me or whatever? Okay. Am I speaking because I hold that position? Well, Again, as I always say here, let's go to the Word of God, and the Word of God is our rule of faith. The Word of God is where we go, and you don't listen and believe things because I say it. You look at it, and what does the Bible say? And if the Spirit bears witness with your spirit of the truth, then let that be your truth. <laughs> and say, Mike, I'm sorry. I just can't go with that. And I'd be glad to be corrected from the Bible. But let's look and see, does, this, does, the, does the Bible back these things that faith is not something that we can convince anybody to do? Faith is not something that happens because of an acclamation or a gathering of truth. That faith in something only happens whenever there is a spiritual power that is worked upon the heart and the mind of the person. That's the only thing that can change that. Amassing knowledge doesn't change that. Amassing information of truth doesn't change that. It doesn't fuel your faith or change or give you faith. The only thing that can give us faith is the Word of God, meaning the Christ of God. God Himself must speak. Whenever the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, faith comes by hearing, but that hearing comes by the Word, not this, by the Word of God. By the One who is the Word of God, Christ Himself, speaking to them. That's what gives us life. That's what gives us understanding. That's what gives us knowledge, is when Christ, by His Spirit, is the teacher, then we have faith. Faith comes by Christ and the Spirit of Christ in us. And you have to have that first. It isn't given to you because you moved your faith from this subject to this subject. As most people preach today, as I once preached, 
that if you'll give your life to Jesus Christ and He'll save you and send His Spirit and put His Spirit in you. The Spirit comes after we make the choice and decision and place our faith off of ourselves and onto Christ, then we get the Spirit. That is completely opposite of what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that no man can believe on Christ unless he is first made spiritual. That means the Holy Spirit has caused us to be born from above, that the Holy Spirit Himself is inside of us, and the Holy Spirit Himself is teaching us, giving us faith. If that is not happening before the gospel ever is presented to us, we will never hear the gospel. If that is not going on in our lives, and listen, it's meted out. Faith is meted out. The Bible says that God is the one who gives the measure of faith, and that God is the one who meets out. And there, there may be some Christians who are, you know, 30-fold, who are 60-fold or 100-fold. There are some of these Christians that are on different levels of understanding and knowledge and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is controlled also by the Spirit of God. And so all of everything that we have is dependent upon God. In our salvation, whether it's the legal aspect or the experiential aspect of salvation, it's all completely dependent upon God alone. But look with me, if you would, in John chapter 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 63. It says here, now if, remember, John chapter 6 is a chapter of all chapters in John. Uh, John chapter 6 is the chapter where Jesus laid down all the doctrines of grace are found in John chapter 6, by the way. You can look at John chapter 6 and you can see all the doctrines of grace found in John chapter 6. We don't preach the doctrines of grace because we follow John Calvin. I, I, don't, I mentioned it last week. I don't care anything about John Calvin. Matter of fact, I disagree with most of what John Calvin says and who he was as a person. I could care less about John Calvinist, John Calvin being a Calvinist or the word Calvinist, Calvinism, or any creed from the Calvinistic understanding. My concern is Jesus. Jesus is the one who I want to listen to. Jesus is the doctrine I want to follow. Jesus is the theologian that I want to listen to. And Jesus in John, and specifically in John 6, laid out every aspect of what we call sovereign grace. But in John chapter 6 and verse 63, Jesus says this, It is the Spirit that quickeneth, not the gospel. It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. That means all the things the flesh does profits nothing. Your preaching is flesh. The preaching is my standing here today and the works that I'm doing in the flesh profits nothing. It's only the spiritual work of God. That's why I prayed before we started here. God, give me utterance. Why? Because I can get up here and preach things that I think in my head, but if the Spirit don't give me utterance, I won't speak according to truth. I pray that I speak according to truth. It's the Spirit that gives you understanding that if I do speak truth... You recognize it as truth as you look into God's Word and say, that is what the Word of God says. If you're out there in video land, whenever someone preaches or you listen to a sermon and you say, that is what the Word of God teaches, yes, I believe that that's what the truth is. That doesn't come because I convinced you or because I said it really nicely and orderly and scholarly. 
It came because the Spirit of God testified to your spirit of what the Spirit of God said to those men who wrote it down, that the Spirit of God had come from the throne of God with the words of God. That's why we know these things. That's why it's a spiritual thing. And Jesus said, it's the Spirit that quickeneth or brings to life. The flesh profits nothing. And Jesus said, the words that who speaks? That He speaks. The words that He speaks. The Word of God. The Word of God. Capital W. The Word of God. The words that I speak unto you. They are spirit and they are life. But notice in verse 64. Here Jesus is speaking to these people the truth. There is no error mixed in anything that Jesus had been preaching to them. Not one. There was not even a wrong connotation. There was not even a wrong illustration. There was not a wrong um, uh, uh, parable. Everything that Jesus spoke was correct. Right on the money. Enough, enough truth to convince. Right? Because it was truth. Pure truth. Complete truth. And it came from the one who had authority to speak it. But there are some of you that believe not. Now they just heard him. He who has an ear to hear. There was a bunch of people that heard him preach this message. And he said, but there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus, now the writer, John, is going to tell us why they believe not and why Jesus knew these things. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. See, Jesus, while he was preaching to these people, preaching the truth to these people, wasn't trying to woo them or offer them or compel them to come to Him. Why? Because from the beginning He knew those who were His. Why? Because He was the one that elected them. He was the one that was given to them. They were His seed. They were His sheep. They were His children. They were His generation. He knew exactly those who were His and they knew that those who were not His. He knew those whose names He had written down in the book of life and He knew those names who were not written down in the book of life. And there they was in the congregation before Him that He preached to them. And He did not offer them the gospel. He did not hope that they would be coming. He was not waiting at the altar earnestly, tenderly. Jesus is calling, waiting for you and for me. He did not do that. What did He do? He said, I've spoken the truth to you, but there are some of you that believe not. Verse 65, And He said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto Me except it were given unto him of My Father. Why was it that some of them did not believe that truth, that convincing truth, that overwhelming gushing amount of convincing truth. Why were they not believing that? Well, number one, because they were not His. He knew those who would not believe and who would betray Him. But second of all, He knew it because no man can come. And that word come, as we've talked before, especially in the context of John 6, the word come means to believe upon Him. 
No man can believe upon me except it were given unto him. Who's the one who's doing the giving? Christ. Christ is the one who's been given power over, flesh, over all flesh to give eternal life. Jesus is the one who's been given power over all men and by His Spirit to speak life into them. Isn't He the one that says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So obviously, in speaking to those people, He didn't speak spirit and life into some of them. Some of them He did. Why? Because some of them didn't believe and some of them did. See, faith wasn't some up-in-the-air thing that if they had just placed their faith over on here or hear enough convincing truth. Listen, you couldn't have got more convincing truth than what Jesus just preached them. But yet they didn't believe. Why? Because it was not given to them. Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except... Except, that means there's no other way. No way. Except there's one way that people can believe upon me if it were given to them of my Father. Look back at verse 44. See, Jesus had already said this once before in His discourse to them. He said, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. See, you have to be drawn. Those people that were listening heard all that convincing truth, but yet they did not believe. Why? Because they weren't given to come. They weren't drawn by the Father. So this notion that enough convincing truth can cause somebody to change. If they hear enough convincing truth, they put their faith in that. They change their faith from this to that. That's not how faith works. Faith doesn't work that way. Faith is something supernaturally given to you because you don't have it. Therefore, it has to be given to you. And once it's given to you, then you are drawn by the truth. As these listeners that did believe were. Look, if you would, back at John chapter 8. John chapter 8. This is where Jesus was telling who was the true children of Abraham. <clears throat> Verse 42, Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me, for I proceeded forth and come from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. You cannot hear my word. So here we have a principle laid down in Scripture that nobody can hear the Word unless God gives them the hearing. Just to hear, to sit under preaching, to sit under convincing truth, no matter how much or how effective it might be, to listen to truth is not going to cut it. He said, Why do you not understand my speech? How many of us has preached to our family the truth and the gospel and they just don't understand it. They don't get it. They just don't understand it. Or they just completely outright hate it and reject it. Why is that? Why is that? Well, if we go by what the Scriptures teaches us, they've not been given to believe. They've not been drawn by God. 
And here, they cannot hear. They cannot hear His Word. Why? It says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. See, they had no clue what the truth actually was. They didn't know. They couldn't hear the truth because they had no reference of truth. That's See, this is where I get that the Spirit puts faith within our heart and even though we have not maybe heard the truth. See, Cornelius knew some truth. There was something that had been put in Cornelius' heart, but he couldn't articulate it very well and he couldn't uh, practice it very well. But whenever Peter came and preached unto him the gospel, what happened? That which was already there began to be, be began to be evidence to him that this is truth and was received of him. Why? Because the truth had already been placed within his heart, and it was attested to by the God preaching of the gospel. And here, I believe, is what this is saying: these people didn't have truth in them to begin with, and therefore they didn't receive the truth when it came to them. Why? Because they couldn't hear the truth. All they can hear is lies. And so, he says, he goes on here, he says, And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? So Jesus is saying, listen, if I'm telling you the truth, why aren't you believing me? I mean that that was the that was the that was the uh, proposition here at the beginning, right? If we give them convincing truth, then they will be convinced of that truth, and then trust in the truth that they heard. Well, what was that? Well, Jesus said here. He said, "If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me?" Now he's going to give them a clear and decisive reason. He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not. Because ye are not of God. You have to be of God. You have to be one of His. You have to be His children. His sheep. His elect. Now that's clear teaching of Scripture, brother. And that's not me trying to follow a philosophy or a denominational thing or some theologian. That is what Jesus said. And the reason that we believe those things is because Jesus said them. And so whenever we hear these things, we need to put away the notion. And again, the putting away of the notion can only come if God gives us repentance of the false truths that we believe. We repent and we say that's the truth. If that's the truth, then that means God has made a distinction among the men of this earth. And I speak men in a general term, women included. That God has an elect and a non-elect. That God has those who are His and those that He that He has redeemed and those He has reprobated. Those who are vessels of honor and those who are vessels of dishonor. Those who are the wicked and those who are the righteous. Those who are the wicked will continue to be wicked. The Bible says if you are wicked, be wicked still. 
Those who are righteous be righteous still. There is no changing in the number. God doesn't have an eraser. He doesn't have an ink pen that He's adding more names. At the foundation of the world, He wrote them down. Those who would be. Those who would be were not. Those who were not will never be added to this, this line or, or this page. Those who are on this page will never be taken off of it. Those who hear God's words, hear them, not because they were convinced of the truth by somebody and they changed their mind and moved their perspective of faith from this object to this object. The reason they hear, hear God's word and they believe what is being told is because the truth is in them. And because the truth is in them, that means they are His. And if they are His, then that means they hear His words that they are given to believe and they are drawn of God. Those are the things we've read so far in John. Look in John chapter 10. We'll go a little bit further. John chapter 10. Verse 25. says, Jesus answered them, I told you and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name is they bear witness of me. So he's basically saying, I told you the truth, but not only did I tell you the truth, but even the very fact and the works that I have done before you should be enough evidence for you to believe who I am and to believe on me. But he said, the works that I do in my Father's names, they bear witness of me, but ye believe not. And again, Jesus doesn't cloud this. He doesn't try to beat around the bush like some Calvinist preachers who don't like to come out and just tell it the way that it is. They like to skirt the issue. Jesus tells it plainly. Ye believe not because ye are not my sheep. He didn't say it just the opposite. You're not my sheep because you don't believe in me. That's what the Calvinists will say. That's what the Arminian is saying, they will try to say, once you become God's sheep, you will believe on Him. Once you believe on Him, you'll be God's sheep. That's two different things. If you are God's sheep, you believe. If you are not God's sheep, you do not believe. It's not backwards. It's not, if I believe, then I become God's sheep. If I don't believe, I don't become God's sheep. No, no, no. The sheep and the goats are forever separated, and they have been from all eternity. The sheep have always been the sheep. The goats have always been the goats. He says, But ye believe not, because ye are not my sheep. As I said unto you, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Now, <clears throat> They hear my voice, and they follow me. And I give unto who? Them who hear my voice and follow me, those who believe me, who believe on me, who trust in me, who come to me, those who are been given the faith to hear my words and believe them, those are the ones that I have given eternal life to. So this notion that there are Christians out there who never come to the gospel truth of sovereign grace, whoever believe on those, that they live and die and reject this gospel. 
They reject God's election of grace. They reject God's predestination. They reject that that uh, Christ has done it all and that there is no free will and free choice and conditions in salvation. Those who continue to believe that and reject the true gospel and even have hate and vitriol to that, and they die and go to their grace. We can't say that those were brothers in Christ just because they were fervent and that they were zealous in their religion. Brethren, we don't have any way to, to give that, that, that uh, stamp of approval. Now, could they be? I don't know. I don't know God's people. I don't know God's uh, book of life. I haven't seen it. But I know one thing. The Bible clearly says that those who are His sheep hear His voice, follow Him. They are drawn. They are given to believe. And what was it that Jesus was preaching in all these preceding chapters? That He chooses, that He elects, that He reprobates, and that He makes the distinction that the only ones who get this are the ones that He gives it to. And that lineage doesn't have nothing to do with it. You hearing me doesn't have anything to do with it. Your understanding of anything doesn't have anything to do with it. Being a child of Abraham doesn't have nothing to do with it. The only thing that has to do with you believing is God giving it to you. Faith is something that is supernatural, not something that is natural. And it has to be given by God. And He only gives it to His sheep. Therefore, we can't say with full assurance that those out there that are believing the Armenian Gospel are believers. Now, I don't know. They might be elect, and the Lord may be giving them faith before at some point. I don't know. But if they live and die rejecting this and hating this, what did Christ say to these people who rejected? And the Bible even said after they heard this, they turned away and they didn't follow Him anymore after He taught these things. What did He say about them? He said, you are of your father the devil. He said that they were Satan's children. And yet we and most people want to press upon us that, oh, you should never talk like that about people that don't believe. Well, Jesus did. Jesus said that, that, that people were synagogues. He said the Jews were the synagogue of Satan and that that whole religious system was, was a harlot and a synagogue of Satan. He says in the book of Revelation that anything that is not his church, his people, is a, is a, is a harlot. And that we are to come out from among them and be separate and not partake of their uh, uh, evil doings and their wickedness. What is their evil doings? Their zealous religion in doing their conditional salvation. See, the Lord makes that distinction. Now we should do that with meekness and long-suffering. I don't ever presume who is God's elect. I ain't going to say, well, that person's not the elect. Or that person's not saved. See, we throw that around. Well, that person's not saved. Well, how do you know that? Salvation isn't, doesn't have nothing to do with what someone's doing or not doing, believing or not believing, because salvation was in the objective work of Jesus Christ. He probably he could have saved them, but yet it's not given them repentance and faith yet. So I can't say anybody's saved or not, because Christ may give them repentance and faith tomorrow and prove me wrong. But I can say whether they're a believer or not. 
There's a difference, brethren. And I hope people understand that. I hope people watching understand that. Because among Calvinistic circles and Facebook groups, this is debated all the time. People are calling people not saved all the time because they don't believe certain doctrines. That don't mean they're not saved. That just means that they're not a gospel believer. There's a difference between being a believer and being saved. Those who are saved will become believers because we just read that all of them will come to Him, follow Him, and listen to Him. But not all those who are saved believe yet. Just like Cornelius. Just like me at some, one time. Just like all of us at one time. We were saved because we were in Christ Jesus, but we did not believe until God granted us to come and drew us. Give us repentance and faith. Look with me also at John chapter 12. Now this is just in John. This is actually all over the Bible, but we're just hanging out in John. John chapter 12, and if you would, look with me at um, uh, down at verse uh, 37, I believe. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. So here, brethren, we see very plainly that the Bible says that they believed not when they saw the miracles, they believed not whenever they heard the overwhelming, convincing truth from Jesus' own lips, why? Because God had hardened their heart that they should not see, that they should not understand, that they should not be converted. But yet we have the modern Christianity saying that God loves everybody and wants everybody to be saved. There's another passage that we could go into the discussion we've been having with the gentleman that you sent email about. Right there, we know that God obviously doesn't want everybody to be saved. Why? Because there are some that He hardens their hearts so they won't be converted. He blinds their eyes, deafens their ears, hardens their hearts so they will not be converted. Jesus prayed in... Um, uh, the verse just escaped me all of a sudden. But He prayed, Father, I praise You. That you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babe. That God actually has hidden truth from some people, but has revealed them to others. The modern Christianity will say that doesn't happen. There is no such a God that will not want people to be saved. There's no such a God that, that's like that. God wants everybody to be saved. God wants everybody to come to the knowledge of the truth. That is not the truth of the Scripture. That's the truth of your religious system that is an untruth. But the truth of God's Word says that God does do those things. God does hide truth from some. God does hinder the Gospel from going to some. 
at some periods of time. Now, granted, God has sent His gospel to every man, every group, kind, every nation, language, and tribe. That there will be the elect from every group of people. But even Paul himself was hindered from going to preach to certain people. God didn't want the gospel to go to them. In the Old Testament, there were all kinds of people that God did not reveal unto them the gospel. Even though it was a hidden gospel, did not include them in anything. People have lived and died that have not known Christ. And it is not because the missionaries didn't get to them in time. It was because God chose for them to never know. They was made for another purpose. Look at John chapter 14 and verse 17. I'll start reading in verse 16 so you get the context here. Jesus here, he says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, by the way, that other comforter is himself, not a second or third or distinct person, but himself. He's going to send himself as the Spirit. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Why? Because Jesus in the flesh was not going to abide with them during this time period. Now there is going to come a day that we're going to abide with Christ forever and ever. But he's speaking here. The Holy Spirit, though, is going to be given to us to abide forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. The world cannot receive these things. Why? Because it seeth him not. Neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And then Jesus says here, and this is why I say Jesus is the one that's coming back to them. But he's coming back as the Spirit. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. <clears throat> There's a unity in the Godhead. There's one God. Father, Word, and Holy Spirit are one God. And they have made their fullness known in the man Jesus Christ. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him. Now, uh, let me quickly go through, because that was all in John, but I want us to understand that this is actually throughout all of Scripture. Uh, Peter teaches this, that faith is something that has to be given to us, and that is only exerted whenever God gives us the power to believe. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1, Peter writes, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We have obtained like precious faith through the righteousness of God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So faith isn't something that's natural. It's something that has to be given to us. Right? Paul wrote in Corinthians to the Corinthian church in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to go kind of quick on these. 
uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1. says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. That's preaching Christ to them, right? Declaring the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So, yeah, you were right, Pastor. That was what you were talking The testimony of God is preaching Christ and Him crucified. Okay? So the testimony of Christ and Christ crucified is what Paul came and preached. He didn't come with excellency of speech. He came with the truth that Christ is what He is who he is, who he said he was, and did what he said he did, and did what he did. He said, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Matter of fact, Paul came preaching things that were contrary to the thoughts and the beliefs of these people. But yet, all of a sudden, these people believed them to be truth. Why? Because the demonstration of this power of the Spirit of God came upon them to cause them to believe the truth. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See the reason God did it this way, and not by enticing speech? See that right there, matter of fact, and I came, and my speech, and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. That right there, just that verse right there completely debunks that quote that I wrote. It doesn't come with overwhelmingly convincing truth that you preach. I don't come with enticing words. I'm trying to convince you of anything. No, we come then and we declare it. And those who have been given the truth in them and the faith of God in them, they believe it and receive it. I don't have to entice anybody. That's why we don't have invitations at this church and beg people to come to the altar and try to get people to make decisions of, uh, uh, and all this kind of stuff for Jesus Christ. That is why my whole entire life I have not pressured my children to become Christians and I trust and wait upon the Lord to do that work in them. And when the Lord has done that work in them, if He does that work in them, that will come forth and be made manifest and evident in their believing upon Christ, coming and being baptized and joining the church and all that kind of stuff that, that comes in salvation. All that stuff. We don't have to press and entice. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't do my thing that God has called me to do, and that is to raise my kids in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And that down to teach them these principles and always put it before them. But never is that the thing that is going to entice them to be anything. I can put as many scripture verses on the wall and pictures on the wall and I can preach to them every morning, every night, have devotions 15 times a day and do all that. And it's never going to make them a Christian. It's never going to make you a Christian. Nobody's ever made a Christian by enticing words of wisdom. But by the Spirit of God. Now, I pray that the Lord does that to my children. I pray that He does that to all my family, my friends. Okay? I pray that He does that. I pray that they're among those people of God. But I'm not clouded in my mind to think that they might not be. And that's hard to say for a father to say that. But it's the truth of Scripture. And the truth is truth. And I can't change the truth because of my emotions. I can't change the truth because of my love. I can't change my, my, uh, the convictions of Scripture because of heartstrings that are being tugged. 
It don't mean that they aren't tugged. They are tugged. Very much so. But that is not how faith works. Faith isn't something that you impose upon somebody or convince something. And Paul made that very clear when he says this. He says, How be we speak wisdom among them that are perfect? Made perfect in righteousness. Those who have already been made perfect in righteousness. He's talking about the elect of God here, brethren. The elect of God. We speak wisdom among them, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. We don't speak the wisdom that this world preaches that if you'll just make a decision, if you'll just choose Jesus. It's as simple as A, B, C. They used to tell us that in Southern Baptist Sunday schools. The gospel is A, B, C. You know? As if we were all just little Mr. Rogers able to take the little puppets and all the little things and teach these little children and they're going to understand and know and they're going to believe the gospel and come to Jesus Christ just by doing... No, if they come, and I'm not precluding that a young person can't, can't be given faith and believe on Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that that can't. But I'm saying if it does, it's because Christ has come and taught them. Christ has come and brought them to life. Christ has given them spiritual life. And Christ has given them to understand the gospel. He says, none of which of the princes of this world knew. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. So even here God is saying, whenever we speak the true gospel, it's a mystery, it's hidden. Well, who is it hidden to? Well, it's hidden to those who are not His sheep. It's hidden to those who do not believe. It's hidden to those who are of their father, the devil. That's who it's hidden to. It's hidden to the reprobate. The reason that you don't hear my words is because you are not my sheep. The reason that you don't hear Michael's preaching of this gospel is because you are not his sheep. Or any other preacher who is preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. The reason that you don't hear that and do not accept that is one of two reasons. Either you are not His sheep or you have not yet been drawn and given to come to Him. I pray that He does give you to come to Him. None of which of these princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have it entered into the heart of man the things which God had prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them, here it is, God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. See, the truth is given to us by revelation, not by indoctrination. The truth isn't given to us by uh, overwhelming, convincing evidence, apologetics. Man, I used to love apologetics. Man, that was what I wanted to be. I wanted to be an apologist. Boy, I thought Hank Hanegraaff, the Bible answer man, was the most awesome guy in the world. In the world. Lee Strobel, whenever he came out with his book, The Case for Christ, and all this stuff, The Case for Faith, and all that stuff. Listen, I, man, I was going to be a guy like this. Uh, Ray Comfort, and the guys like that that took with apologetics and just made people unbelieve. Well, man, you got back me into the corner with so much facts and figures that I can't help it. Exactly what that quote said. They are, they are given so much convincing information that they now believe in what was convinced of them. Paul here is saying it's just the complete opposite. He said it's completely and totally the opposite of that. has nothing to do with that. He said the truth is revealed 
by the Spirit. That means I have no control over it. I can't make it happen or not happen. There is no control over a revelation of the Spirit except the working of the Spirit Himself. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received, that means that we've been revealed, we've received not the Spirit of the world, Okay, those who are His people, we do not have the, uh, the Spirit of the world, we have the Spirit which is of God. Therefore, having the Spirit which is of God, we have been given that. Why? That we might know the things that are freely given to us. So we can't truly know the free nature of the Gospel, and that's what sovereign grace is about. That's why it's also called free grace. A lot of times we call ourselves free gracers, right? We believe in free grace. Believe the Arminians say, well, we believe in free grace. Grace is free to all people, you know, and all like that. No, we're talking about grace is free in the fact that it isn't bought, earned, or merited. It can't be done. There is no conditions upon it. Grace is given only at God's disposal. Grace does, God doesn't have to give grace to anybody. God doesn't give grace to everybody. That's free grace. And Paul here is saying that we have been given the Spirit of God and only if those who have been given the Spirit of God will anybody ever know the true Gospel because it is only by the Spirit of God that it is revealed that grace is free. That the things that we have are freely given to us of God. It isn't me and my righteousness, me and my earning, me and my merit, me and my choice, me and my will, me and my acceptance, me and my um, baptism, me and my church membership. It isn't any of that. It is all about God gave it to me. It was a free gift. It was something that was purchased by Him and His own money, blood, it was something that was wrought by Him. He's the one who give it. And guess what? It's The only way that it's enjoyed is by Him. Because unless His Spirit gives me to know and understand it, I won't enjoy it. The enjoyment and experience of my salvation comes only by His hand. So it has absolutely nothing to do with this. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches. See, man's wisdom cannot teach you anything, brethren. Thank God that God has given us preachers and teachers. I'm thankful for that. But listen, if they teach anything, if I teach you anything, and I, you know, you guys say this all the time, and people write in and make comments on the deal. Thank you for that. You know, I, I learned a lot from you. I, I've taught you've taught me a lot of things. Listen, I understand what you mean, and I hope you understand what you mean <laughs> when you say that. That you understand that yes, may, I may have been speaking that truth, but if you learned that as truth, it wasn't me that taught you that, it was God that taught you that. I don't teach anybody anything. I just proclaim and declare the truth of God. If He gives me to do that. And if it is the truth, then you understand it and receive it as truth, it was because God gave you that understanding and revelation of that truth. And give your experience to receive it and believe it and love it and enjoy it. But the natural man, he receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for the foolishness unto him. But look here, he says, neither can he know them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. See, the reception of 
Jesus Christ, the reception of the gospel, the reception of all that Christ has done for us and the believing and the hoping in it is something that is spiritually discerned. And it is only something that can be hoped upon because of the Spirit that lives in you. And if the Spirit isn't in you, then there can be no faith. So therefore, faith only works and comes and is activated and is and is and is uh, 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 exercised in the person if they are first made spiritual. They have to be first born of God. And they're only born of God if they are His sheep. Because it's only to them that He gives eternal life. I lay down my sheep. I give my life for the sheep. And John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed in Him should not perish but have eternal life. The reason He gave His Son and, and He bore His life out for those who would believe is that they might have eternal life. Not because they believed, that's just a category of the persons that He's laying down His life for. He's laying down His life for believers. Believers in who? Believers in what? Believers in Christ and what Christ did on the cross for them. So see, the ones who believe, the ones who are known, are spiritually discerning that because they're His sheep. But He that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet He Himself is judged no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Brethren, there's several other verses and I probably won't get into that. I think we've said enough on this today. But know this, that faith is not something that I can muster up. It's not something that I can just say, you know what, I'm going to have faith today that I can sit in that chair and it's going to uh, save my soul and I will not go to hell because I sit in that chair right there. And then all of a sudden somebody come and come in and say, well, no, that comes by Jesus alone. Oh, well, okay, well, I'm going to change my mind. Now, I know that's stupid and I know that's silly and maybe childish for me to even use that illustration. But listen, there's no that it's no more sillier than thinking that someone can, with natural faith, hope in a gospel that the Bible is very clear is hidden a mystery, and is only revealed by the Spirit. There's no human person can do that in the natural man. No human person can do that to another natural man. From a natural man to a natural man. The only one that can do that is the Spirit of God. So I pray that we continue to keep our understanding of faith biblical. That we keep our understanding of salvation spiritual. It's a spiritual thing. It's not a physical, fleshly activity that happens because men get out and get to work for Jesus. But it's the work that Christ has already done on behalf of His people. And the experience of that is being laid to those people as God grants them, as the Bible says, to come to Him. As their spiritual eyes are open, their spiritual ears are open, their spiritual heart is, is made soft and receptive, and that their mind is renewed and that God has given them a new understanding of things, and now taking that mystery, that hidden aspect of all these things, and taking it away and giving them the truth that is in Christ Jesus. All right. Does anybody have any questions or anything to add? Any comments? Any other passage that I might have missed? I had some others that I want to prove, just proving that it's all over the Bible, but it also was saying the same thing. That's why I didn't think it was necessary to go to more passages, but. It was just to prove that faith is something that's given to us by the power of God. 
But if anybody has any more aspects or anything you'd like to add, you're welcome to share that. Or corrections. If there's something you want to correct or rebuke. We missed one in John 13. I missed one in John 13? What is that? Eighteen through twenty. Eighteen through twenty. Mm-hmm. John thirteen, eighteen through twenty says, I speak not of all of you all, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled, he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass you may believe that I am him. Verily, verily I say unto you, He that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me. And he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. Well, that definitely is shown that he uh, knows whom he has chosen. That's true. He knows those that he has chosen. We don't. We don't know that, but he knows it. And to preclude that to say that, well, God only knows it because he looks down the corridor time and sees who will have faith in him. Again, what we just learned this morning in those passages that we looked at proves that if God looked down and foreseen faith, the only faith that he foreseen is the faith that he gave them. It still doesn't remove that aspect of God predestinating all things and electing a people and not electing a people. If God looks down the corridor time and sees who will choose him, or have faith in Him, as some people want to say, uh, choosing Him and accepting Him or whatever. It, again, the only reason they did that is because what the Bible says. God give them to do that. So that doesn't mean that everybody has... I mean, that doesn't support free will. Foreknowledge of foreseen faith does not hold up free will. Matter of fact, it crashes it on its head like every passage in the Scripture crashes it on its head. There is no free will of man. There is no free choice of man. Salvation does not come by your decision for Jesus, accepting Jesus, receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior, praying a prayer, anything that you do. It's not conditioned upon anything that you do. Anything. Repentance and faith even. The spiritual acts of repentance and faith that truly is given to the child of grace. Repentance and faith is not what saves you. Christ saved you if you are saved. Christ saved you. You're already saved. Everybody that's out there, and if this world continues to go on for another eon, every person from now until the end of that eon that is ever going to be saved, guess what? They're already saved. They've not been born yet. They've not heard the gospel yet. God's not raised up a man to go preach that gospel to them yet. But they're already saved. Every one of us that has ever lived was saved before we ever was born, before we ever heard the gospel. Now whether you believe in eternal justification or not, the fact remains that from the cross of Jesus Christ until today, every person was not born and was not hearing the gospel but yet they were saved already because of what Jesus did. Not because of what they accepted or believed or repented of. They were saved because of what Jesus did. And I believe that that is the line that is to be drawn in whether or not a gospel is the true gospel or a false gospel. 
If you think that someone is saved in time because of something that they have to go through with or experience, then you have now preached a false gospel. The true gospel is, it is done. It is finished. It is complete. It's over. Christ is set down at the right hand of God. Why? Because He is, with one sacrifice, already perfected them. Has already redeemed them. Has already forgiven them. Has already done everything on their behalf. There's nothing more to do. Now we believe that that was declared upon God's people before the foundation of the world. Not waiting in time for anything. But even if you hold to the, at the cross justification, everybody ahead of time and everybody before the cross, they was all justified. They was all saved. Not because of anything that they did, but because of what Christ did. So I hope that we all can at least find common ground in that, that it is based upon the blood and the righteousness and obedience of Jesus Christ alone. Alright, anyone else got anything you'd like to add? Hebrews 12.2 I think that was actually He's the author and finisher of our faith That's... for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross despised the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God That was the, actually the next verse on my list is Hebrews 12.2 Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith The author and the finisher of our faith If he's the author of our faith and the finisher of our faith that means he controls Everything in the aspects of our faith, when it begins and when it ends. Okay? It isn't something that we have naturally within us. He is the author and the finisher. Amen. All right. Anybody else? What do you think about Mark? All right. You believe he's the author of our faith? That's good, brother. All right. Let's bow on that word for prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God that causes us to believe. To many men that is offensive that we have to be caused to believe. But Father, we hold that and cherish that. It's truly a blessing because we know exactly what the Bible teaches that all men have not faith. We know the Bible teaches that we will not come to Him that we cannot come to Him, that we will not come to Him. All things the Bible explicitly says about our nature and who we are. But Father, we know that if we come to You and believe upon the truth of Jesus Christ and the truth of the Gospel, it's only by grace. And it's because You have given us to do that, not because of any exercise of our own or any merit of who we are. And we surely, Lord, even though we come and we believe and we have hope that we are the people of God, we surely don't boast because we know that we by nature are children of wrath and we are deserving of eternal punishment. But yet you and your love and your grace and your mercy has called us out of darkness into light. You've called us into the, uh, into the enjoyment and the inheritance of your own Son. And so, Father, we are grateful that you have given us these things. And we pray, Lord, that we might continue to proclaim the truth of them. And I pray, Lord, that this might be found as a comfort to the people of God. And Lord, I just thank you again for this time together and the brethren that you gather here together. May you be with them. 
Give them safety as they go home throughout this week, Lord. That you might provide for them as you have promised everything they have need of. And Lord, we just, again, thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen.